0: Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things coming to you from the Carl Chevrolet Studios in Ankeny. Jeff, I'm thinking about buying a new car after the new year.
1: I would, I would, uh, I couldn't recommend the Colorado highly enough.
0: That is actually what I'm thinking about. The it's, Chevy Colorado, getting it, myself a nice little pickup truck, pick them up, pick them up truck. It's a wonderful vehicle,
1: uh, especially in, in days like this. Uh, and both of you or both of, both of us are. First full day back from Florida. And Mm -hmm. we're actually back in the the physical Carl Chevrolet Studios.
0: Not the hotel. Not the hotel
1: ironing board. Yeah. Carl Chevrolet Studios. Um, And uh, yeah, like it's snowing today. And so I just kicked it into, um, there's multiple four-wheel modes. Mm -hmm. And so I just put an automatic, which will, um, the kind of caddy corner. So your front right and your back, your front passenger and your back driver's side will activate at the same time to balance things out. If it notices that there's some type of imbalance. Something amiss. Something amiss. Uh, if there's something troublesome afoot yeah, and uh haven't had any issues because it's not as slick. And if I need, really need to switch it into different four wheels and I still get on, drove all the way back from Chicago, coming
0: back from Orlando, got 21 miles a gallon. So she's a nice little vehicle. Yeah. So I, it's kind of what I'm thinking. I've been looking at carlchevrolet.com. I might have to go on out to the, the lot out there at Carl Chevrolet right off of I-35 exit 90 at the Rock in Ankeny. Could have stopped at Carl Chevrolet and Stewart on my way back from Omaha yesterday, but it was time to get home. You knew you were sleepy. Yeah, it's time to time to get home. Uncle Jared was sleepy. Uncle Jared was sleepy. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the camping world loss to Notre Dame. Maybe very briefly talk about our experience in Orlando, uh, and then obviously we'll talk about the game a little bit. But I frankly just don't think anybody cares about the game anymore. Well, and I
1: think the the initial um flurry of emotion hopefully is done and la- yeah. I'm, I'm not on the twitter sphere and that's the most immediate um fireball of emotion and i f- it, i listened to you guys doing the uh the postmortem postpartum yeah podcast yeah and i think a lot of it was was like you guys being annoyed and rightfully so rightfully so annoyed with people that are like you know fire the whole thing burn the ship down um which hopefully that has kind of calmed down at this point and people are more sober looking at it. But if not, then we'll kind of... I think the only proper way to look at this game is through a very sober lens of what happened, what did they do well, what did they not do well, and how can they do it better? And looking at it, and that's how you watch coaching tape, and that's how you watch game game tape, is you take the emotion out of it, and that's one of the reasons... Why there is no sound in game tape? There's no reason to have sound in game tape, and so we are. We'll try and like again be very sober-minded about what happened in the game, and then use that as kind of a springboard uh, to get into a retrospective and a future perspective look at what Iowa State should do or might do, or what we think we they could do in the off season.
0: Yeah, I think that there's some really interesting things to to talk about as this program is really going to try and continue to evolve and move forward, and you know, kind of take that next step into being better than what they are right now.
1: Well, and I think you, you guys had talked about it too, um, that there is the, the progression into the upper echelon is not linear and it is not fast, generally. We got from the doldrums to really good, really quick. Mm-hmm. From really good to great is a really hard, it's that, that final 10% of a transformation, you know? It's really easy to get your grade to pull to a B, or a B plus to get your grade to pull to an A is a lot of work and it's a lot of time and fixing that GPA up above there is really difficult. And the things that, the things that we are talking about now, um, are minor fixes because it is the final 10% of a, of a thing. And I
0: would say they got like a B minus this season.
1: Yeah. I would say a B and Objectively, I would say B- minus is a pretty fair grade. I think a yeah. lot of people emotionally would feel like this is in the C range. But, again, take a step back. Take the, do as best you can of taking the rose-colored glasses off and look at Iowa State from a where they were to where they are and from a not-a-cyclone-fan perspective of what your expectations were versus what were someone's expectations and then analytically look at it. Um, and I think there are two things that can be simultaneously true. Uh, one... That you can be pleased with where the program is at and where it is going, and two, you can be disappointed with the season as a whole. Like those two things can concurrently be true, and I think the majority of Cyclone fans are in that boat. We're like, you wish they would have done a little better than they did,
0: but you're really happy that it's not 2014. You know, right? That's what I tweeted after the game. Is just like, man, I my final thought from that day was just the the I that feeling of after losing that game we're still a heck of a lot better than going two and 10 and losing to Kansas. Yep. And it's, and disappointment is greater than apathy. Yeah. Because at that point we just didn't care. Mm-hmm. It was like, you went into it, like they're going to lose. What's it matter? Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm saying. It's a lot better. I, I feel a lot better about the fact that now we have something to actually care about and be disappointed about than before when it was just like, eh, it is what it is. Yeah. But yeah, we'll continue to talk about that when we come back on football and random things on the cycle and fanatic podcast network. <laughs> Welcome back to Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network in the Carl Chevrolet Studios. All right, let's start with the game a little bit. Um, I mean, I think that the the tough thing is that, we and we can never know how this would have changed, but, I mean, when you come out, the stadium's fired up, you get a three and out to start the game, and then you fumble the punt away. Mm-hmm. I, I just kind of wonder... You know how maybe the game goes a little bit different if that does not happen, and then even then, you're able to hold them to just three points, and uh, it still kind of felt like Iowa State could quickly swing things back into their favor, especially when Brees Hall breaks one for 25 yards on the first play, mm-hmm. and then you fumble two three plays later, and it's and it's like and it's the same thing where you know then you know shortly later Notre Dame goes and scores a touchdown. Well, and
1: I honestly think the game was still I don't want to say in Iowa State's control, because obviously Notre Dame's really good. I mean, the defense had played – I thought the defense played really well they did. in the
0: first few series until it, the play where where Claypool got wide open.
1: And, and that was still a broken play. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a broken play, and if he's a really smart player. Um, you know, the, the whole, like, shoving stuff, it, it, irrelevant to that. Yeah. Um, but I think I was comfortable with the game up until – the first 3 and out of the second half. And then regardless of the run, that was that you know that that that, da- that was the for sure the dagger that yeah. killed the game. I mean, I think everybody at that point was really off the bandwagon.
0: Um, I told Chris a halftime that I thought if they could go and score on the first drive and then get a stop on the, on the next defensive series, then I thought that they could get like the game would be back in yeah. in, in play because it is the, Ho- the Hoiberg two for one. You yeah, know, if yeah.
1: they, they kicked a field goal at the end of the half, and if they were to get a touchdown, then that's ten points back right now without Notre Dame really touching the ball at all, yeah. Uh, other than you know a, a run player and a nail down. Um, so if for if you look at the first half. Um, and this is the way that I described it to a lot of people. Cause you know, you go back to the bathroom line and everyone's like, Hey, you know, what'd you think? Or whatever you, you get get back out there. I was like, eh, not. hold off for a second. Um, if you look at every fourth down opportunity and mathematically, this is true. Most people, most teams are give or take 50%, you know, plus or minus 10% on fourth downs usually. And so every fourth down is more or less a fumble that hit the ground and you have a 50% chance of getting it. And your opponent has a 50% chance of getting it. So if you look at every fourth down as fumble that landed on the ground, for both teams, either one, um, then you're stealing a possession if you convert it, and you are also, it counts as a turnover. It's just literally just like a fumble hit the ground because you get the ball at the spot. Uh, It's just like a turnover if you don't. And so, again, consider each fourth down play that was done, that is not a punt or a kick, as a fumble that hit the ground. Iowa State was 0 for 2 in fumbles. They had two turnovers on that side. They were also 0 for 1 on their fourth down attempts, which we will definitely get to in a second. And then Notre Dame was three for three on fourth downs in their first half. So that's the equivalent of stealing six possessions. I would say it was down by 14 points, right? Two touchdowns. What was it? 20 to six after yeah, the, so, uh, after the fourth and one. Yeah. When they scored on the next play. Yeah. So it was, um, 20 to six. It was, it was a, a 14 point game after having given up six, possess- six different possessions. Again, counting each fourth down as a turnover. Um, they were not that far off. When Coach Campbell in the, post, in the post-game press conference, which if you had any... I, I don't know how anybody can have any doubt about this coaching staff after going to that... You were there at the press conference. Um, basically, everything he was saying is, we were really close, but we didn't do it. And that's coaching. That's us. Yeah. And he was looking at the mirror, not blaming the kids. Um, but... The, the way, the kind of the, the equivalent of that is you give, or, give away six possessions and you're still within 14 points. Um, that's sort of, to me, like, you know, when Ryan Spangler and, and like Buddy Heald and those guys were at Oklahoma and they shoot 82% from three in the first half and you're down by like 17 points or whatever it is. And you're like, okay, they're really good, but they also mathematically above the average of where they should be shooting. At some point, math rules and it's going to swing back the other way. We just have to be in it enough that when it does swing, they're going to cool off and we'll be there to take advantage of it. That's how I felt at halftime. Because, again, I think at total yards, like Iowa State had like 208. Notre they Dame had like 204. Yeah, yeah. uh, I was, was like 16 up yards per pass for both teams. And yeah. It was three and a half per rush. Rec- I mean, it was exactly, other than those turnovers and fourth downs and points, obviously, they were even. And so the first half was way closer than what it looked like because of those stolen possessions. But then as soon as they go three and out and just go and they look that was one of their worst drives. They go three and out in really bad fashion. And then Notre Dame houses an edge run for eighty yards or whatever it is. And they go up by three scores. At that point I think everyone was like, All right, well, there goes that. Because at that point it became disparate. There is there is differences in execution and I I again, it's really easy to play the woulda, coulda, shoulda game of if those two fumbles didn't happen, is the game in a situation where that doesn't matter as much? Like Oklahoma State, you know, Iowa State's down 21-0, to but they also had scored two or three times, you know, or could very quickly score, and it wasn't like, oh, my God, we can't come back against these guys because you'd already done it two or three times where defense comes to the sideline, like, yeah, whatever, offense will pick us up, we're going to go out and do it again. Where in that game, it had been only two field goals at, to that point. And you're like, shoot, I don't know if we can do this. Mm-hmm. And so the mental switch is a little bit different. But I think it was a tale of two halves. The first half was a lot closer than people are giving it credit for. And I think the second half was a lot a lot worse uh, respect to the, respective to the first half. Um, but I think it was also illustrative of all the things Iowa State Needs to look at yeah going into the off season right, which is what we're in right. one kind of again it. microcosm of a game
0: yeah no I think that you know I think when when it like to put it into basketball terms and this is something that I kind of talked about on on the podcast that Chris and I did the post part and postmortem post part and postmortem yet yeah. uh, when you know the creating your own luck mm-hmm. type thing. And it goes to what you're talking about a little bit with the, the fourth downs and stuff like that. Like, uh, I know that a lot of people say that the numbers, like with turnovers, like, it always swings back to the mean. Well, we were talking about that in week one. It never did. Yeah. You know, and that's where I think that there is some element, and this is something that Coach Campbell talks about. There is some element of that where it's like because it's like the same teams every year always are the ones that are up at the top of Kansas those kinds State, of things. Kansas State, Notre Dame. Like, mm-hmm. Notre Dame was plus 15 in turnover margin, plus 17 to end the season in turnover margin. Uh, you know, like uh, Ohio State, Clemson, like they're always going to be up there in those kinds of things. I think there's some element of it that it's like you have to create your own luck. And it's like I almost think, and I, this really just came to my mind, like when it's a 50-50 ball in, in basketball terms, when it's a 50-50 ball and it's guy A and the other guys, Kawhi Leonard, that ball is not a 50-50 ball. Mm -hmm. At that point, it's like 75-25. You know Kawhi Leonard would rather kill that guy than let let him get the basketball. Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's where some of those things where it's like you make your own way to shift the paradigm, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, and I don't know what you do to turn that. I think that there's some guys on Iowa State's team that like have that ability, but then there's also times where it's like, the ball's on the ground, and all of a sudden the only people there are Notre Dame people. Mm-hmm. And it's like that. that's what's kind of frustrating to me sometimes is it's like you like there has to be someone that's got that thing that like we are not going to lose the football. Well, and I think Brock has that thing. And he showed that, I think, against Northern Iowa where, yeah, when, when the ball dove. was on the ground. Exactly.
1: Yeah. it's That's the Kawhi Leonard 50-50.
0: And then it's almost like he gets complacent sometimes where like that's why when he pump fakes and then he basically just drops the ball, you know, mm-hmm. and that's like – that's a, being a sophomore, yeah, you know, and like he turned you lose, 20 yeah, the day before you, you lose your focus a little bit and you like think, oh, I can do this. And it's like, I've done this how many times and you do it sometimes too many times and you're like going up against a good team and you put the ball right here instead of pulling it in when you're going to run the ball. And then a good guy comes in and slaps it down. And it's just like that. Those are the things that that need to be cleared up a little bit. In my mind. And I think that that game was a good example of that. And it's it's like they're mental things, you know. There's like a mentality that it requires. If it's like I would rather die than get beat. All the time. All the time. And
1: I think that consistency is one of the hard things. That every single time you have there, you have. And this team has done it better than any Iowa State team. And I say this not specifically the 2019. The 2017, 18, 19. This program. Yeah.
0: Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to like right, cr- right, right, crap right. all over them. I'm saying – because they have come back in way too many games for me to sit here and be like, okay. like they're, For sure. Because like they've done it. But it's like how do you get it to where you start the game with that and you don't have to get down 20 before you bring it out. And then you like have it all the time. It's just like with Iowa State's basketball it's team like right Clemson now. It's like Clemson football. Yeah. It's Iowa State's basketball team right now in my mind where like it, for them to be really successful, I think they have to play a particular way. And they have to be really good defensively. But if you want to be really good defensively, you don't just like show up one day and be like, hey, we're going to be really good on defense today. Mm -hmm. You know, like Virginia, Virginia being good at defense is they have a, that is a mentality driven into you. You are, you live with this mindset of like, I would, I am going to, like, I am offended if you put the ball in the basket. I am going to do everything that I possibly can to keep that ball from going in the hoop and that's it that's all there is to it and it don't matter there's nothing else but it's like i will not let you score Mm -hmm. and that's like it it takes that mentality of like every time they come out it's like we are going to do it right we're always going to do it right and then that's how you don't end up with things where chase claypool is running all around like wide open on a post and you got two people that are just trailing behind him Mm -hmm. and you're like man how does that guy get wide open? Well, and,
1: and I think this is a couple learning experiences here. And again, to recontextualize this, uh, we are talking about the final, you know, 10% of something that takes you to becoming that consistent 10 win team. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. 10 plus wins being all great. the time being great. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. We're, this team will I, I feel like with the way Campbell leads and the way that the culture of the, the players is, it would be hard for me to think and I'm going to knock on wood hard here. It's going to be hard for me to think that this culture changes so much that they're not going to be uh, really mad about seven losses or seven wins. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they're going to be, I don't think, I think the floor is really high at this point with coach Campbell and this staff because of culture being really hard to establish. And it's also really hard to change and they have a good culture. But again, this is where the, 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 the finishing point of this is um, that Coming into the season, this was the first time. And again, Campbell acknowledged this. It almost to start the press conference, and I don't remember who asked the question. Uh, was you know how does you missed a couple games here or there? And it, I think it was probably in the same response that he had talked about with the making your own luck. He you, it was kind of asked about how do you how would you look at this this season retrospectively? And he goes, we knew it was gonna. He goes, we knew it would be a an interesting season. Because this is the first time they'd ha- anyone had really dealt with expectations,
0: but it was also a really young team. And both of those things were true. And you had a lot of seniors who were had obviously been key players, but also weren't like stars. Yeah. You
1: know. And w- trying to figure out what happens after Butler leaves and Montgomery leaves and the leadership that goes with that. And now you have this new crop of guys. Yeah. And what does that look like? And Brian Peavy's going, what, what does the new team look like? But there are serious expectations. And, and I don't think anyone's shying away from having expectations. Because you didn't have expectations. Again, you're talking about uh, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. And if you are, th- no one is apathetic about Iowa State football. And the, the expectations that are there, now they have learned how to deal with them. But going into this season, I think there was a little, not going into this, at various points in the season, there was a little bit of, um, our stuff don't stink. Yeah. You know, and there was some elements here or there where they thought that they could kind of get away with it. And then they get down 21 points and then they thought they'd get away with it. And then they would get down 14 points. They kind of got, you know, snapped back, slapped back to reality of being like, Oh, this is how we
0: have to work. You want to know who might, what actually might be an interesting parallel? What? The 2014, 15 basketball team where you, the one you talked about that got down 17 to Oklahoma that Mm -hmm. got down or whatever it was where in 13, 14, you had Melvin and DeAndre and you had a lot of the same guys that were going to be on that next year's team with young Monte and George and Matt Thomas and Naz, obviously. But like that was Melvin, Melvin's team Mm -hmm. and then DeAndre's team. And then you lose them, but you bring back all these other guys, all these other guys that you know are really good. You come into the next year and you're like, we are going to be really good. But you also have to remember the fact that like this is George stepping into a new role where it's like this is George's team, mm-hmm. this is monte's team, you know, and that was u a b that and that's what I'm saying. If it had been the year before some of the things that Bryce to Jones was doing on that team, like De- that, DeAndre came you think that have... he would have got away with those things with yeah. Melvin and DeAndre in the building mm-hmm. Melvin Edgem threw a ball at a guy in the middle of a practice when he was like a sophomore, like Melvin Edgem didn't take b s yeah, you know, but like who knows if George was when he was just stepping into that new role, maybe he wasn't quite prepared to step up and be like, hey, cut the shit, you know? And that's what, to me, you can kind of see that a little bit here, where it's like there are guys who are seniors. There were guys who were seniors on that team, you know, whether it's Dustin Hogue or uh, obviously Bryce. Mm-hmm. But, like, Bryce was new, and that was a whole thing. He was kind of one of the people that was driving a lot of the troublemaking, I think. Mm-hmm. And then Dustin just wasn't really, like – that wasn't what he was. Yeah. But think that's what that team did. They would dig themselves those holes, and then they were so good that they would remarkably always be able to dig out of them. And They would get a slapped lot of times, to reality. Yeah, and, and then there would always be that time where then they'd come out and play Texas Tech and lose in Lubbock. Mm-hmm. Or like they'd lose in Manhattan against a Kansas State team that was not near as good as them. I, want to, I think that was that year. And, like, those are the kinds of things that I'm talking about where it's like – and that's I think that's why that parallels that a little bit is it's like you have to re- remember how tough. Like, no matter how ta- how talented you are, it's hard to step into that new role, especially as a young guy when you, like, you know, for Brock – Brock is still, like you mentioned, he, he, he was turned, 19 the they, entire we liter- season. We
1: literally sang him happy birthday yeah. at, the, at the pep rally for turning 20.
0: Right. And not everybody is, like, one of those guys that when they're 19 years old – They're willing to stand up in front of a group of guys that are all older than them and be like, this is the way that it's going to be done.
1: But you'd be, I would bet now after having him being the lightning rod for a lot of this, for the praise and the criticism. I mean, he is, he is the. Did
0: that make sense though? Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah, 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 yeah. because
1: it's a talented, but inexperienced team. And that's what this team was. It was a very talented, but inexperienced team. And I think the parallel to that, the, the 13, 14 or 14 15. Fourteen, fifteen, and basketball is
0: different a little bit, obviously, because there's so fewer guys. Like right. George and Monte and Matt and Nas had all played a lot, but it was like they it had, was just different. Yeah, it where all of a sudden they are the dudes. It
1: wasn't DeAndre and Melvin. Yeah, almost again wanting to get in a fight with Monte because he wasn't putting as much of a fight back. Like yeah. he was, he was trying to draw a fight out of him. Yeah, and I think that is a good parallel because again, it's a very physically talented team, and then pe- similar to that team. They're returning a lot of those talented guys with now having been slapped by life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And the, it's one of those things that I feel like at, at every moment in someone's life, no matter what you are, no matter what job you're doing, no matter if you're a professional athlete or whether you are a guy that is just going to end up like doing any job, like pick any job. Everyone needs to get their ass kicked at some point when they are young to learn how not to get your ass kicked when you're not young. And whether that's failing your first semester of college or whether that's getting, you know, going into debt and then realizing, like, I need to change my spending habits or whether that's physically getting your ass kicked at a bar because you think you're too tough and you get beat down. And then you kind of realize, like, how do I avoid the situation to not put myself here in the first place? These guys are young. They got their ass kicked by life, by, you know, putting digging themselves these holes and trying to come back and then all of a sudden losing a couple times. And Brock, again, had by the end of the season, he had become the lightning again, the lightning rod of praise and criticism that if something negative is going to happen, he's going to have to go out and face the music. So when someone is doing something that will negatively affect the team, it will personally affect Brock. Mm-hmm. So I would guarantee based on you've, you've interviewed him a lot closer and you can, like, you can feel his personal resentment towards losing. Like he, It offends him to lose or to do anything less than perfect. Next season, how do you think off-season workouts are going to go when somebody's late? Yeah. Or when somebody misses a line or when someone misses a rep or when someone cuts a rep? How do you think Brock Purdy's going to handle that? Because when that comes in the season and someone fumbles because they were late or because whatever, who has to go out and answer that question? Yeah. Brock Purdy. Who has to f- ultimately face the decision Uh, ultimately face the explanation for what happens. It's not the guard that missed the block. It's not the wide receiver. It's not the corner. It's not. It's Brock Purdy. that's going to have to go out in front. You know who else is going to have to do that? Mike Rose. Yeah. Greg Eyesworth. Those guys are going to have to. They have become after this many years, two full years for a couple guys, one and a half for others. They are the front of the program. So I think there's going to be a lot more consistent and more demonstrative leadership coming from guys like Mike Rose, like Greg Eyesworth, like Brock Purdy, like, uh, you know, who, fill in the blank. I think Downing is still probably a little bit young, but I
0: yeah, you know, this, okay. who, fill in the blank. Right. So that that brings up a good point, and this will be our kind of our final thing on the game before, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll move forward um, and, and take a break. But Brock, so and we've talked before the quarterbacks at Iowa State. Like they there has been a lot of them. When, as long as I've been here, that they did not come answer questions, mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't that they, you know, I don't know what it was. They didn't have that personality; like they just weren't the kind of guys that were going to come in and be the ones who. Why did you throw that interception? Right, and like they he, weren't going to come in and face you. They weren't going to answer that question, and it's not that they were scared to, or it's like that they just like
1: wasn't they them? didn't
0: they didn't feel like they had an obligation to do that, mm-hmm. you know. And Brock has done that every game. He's I think he's been. At, at every post game mm-hmm. this season even on saturday when the offense did not play well and he admittedly he, didn't play he well. hardly could walk when he was walking out uh, of the locker room and you weren't standing close enough but one of the quotes that he had was i think was was really perfect um and it was when he was asked about what do you guys do now to kind of get over the hump and he said executing everybody on every single down if you're going to win games, you have to come up clutch in certain situations. That's got, got to be from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. I feel like this year when we lost, we didn't do that at all. Even the games that we won, we made it close by not doing that. If we're going to take the next step, that's what it comes down to, making plays in critical situations. And that's the and guy. That's that's the thing.
1: That, that's a 20-year-old kid yeah. who has now been repeatedly criticized. And, and I, again, we don't need to harp on douche fan. Every fan base has douche fan. Iowa State fan base has douche fan. Douche fan is the guy that yells out, fire anyone, fire blank, in the, as loud as they possibly can, or bench blank anybody as fast as they possibly can. That's douche fan. If you are that guy, you are douche fan and nobody likes you at the game. 100% chance. Like, there was one guy in the section that was uh, next to where we were sitting, um, I think Brock threw like an incompletion or something like that, and was like, I've seen enough, put Ray Allen. Literally, that, like that came out of his mouth, and I'm like, you realize that this is the best offensive player outside of David Montgomery, Alan Lazard, Akeem Butler, that Iowa State has seen since Troy Davis. Yeah. And you're yelling to bench this kid? Get out of here. Like, I've, it was one of those things where, like, I wish...
0: No love for Todd Blythe or... Good, yes. <laughs> but I'm I'm telling you, this, I'm just ki- I'm just messing with you. Because this... I mean, Seneca Wallace, man. No love for Seneca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Like, we'll w- throw Seneca in there. Point... Yeah, ma- yeah. I'm yeah. making it
1: Just generally making a point. Yeah. And... You can't like throw this, throw the baby out with the bathwater. But again, he has been the one that has gone out in front, and Eisworth has done the same thing. Yeah. Like on defensively, it's just less of a, a cornerstone position. Eisworth has been in front of the press every single time that he has played, and even I probably when he was out, they probably trotted him out anyway.
0: Uh, no, not too much. No. Okay. So, Greg's good though. Greg, but either, Greg just doesn't talk very much. But
1: either way, they've been the guys that have had to go out and answer the questions. They've yeah. been the guys that have had yeah. to be the one that responds to all the negative things. So they take it personally. It's
0: not the fullback who played you watch your mouth half the game. You watch your mouth. I'm just saying, I mean, it's not that it's not that we didn't want to talk to you, but by the end we didn't want to talk to you. Watch your mouth all right we'll take a quick break and then we'll uh we'll talk about some things going into the off season when we come back football and random things on the cyclone fanatic podcast network welcome back to football and random things on the cyclone fanatic podcast network who does a basketball team play on saturday do you know nope oh it's the tcu game sorry i was getting messages about it but uh so we're gonna look a little bit at some of the things going into the off season. i've written down some different points that i think some things that maybe could use some evaluation you had one that you sent me yesterday it was a bugaboo well uh we'll work that into another one that i have here i want to start first we were already talking about brock purdy uh i want to talk about him mm-hmm. i think he needs to we need to see continue continued growth from him during the offseason because it felt like during that game he maybe reverted to some of the things that he had done during his freshman year that held him back a little bit when it's whether it's leaving the pocket too early or or bailing too fast yeah bailing out too fast and to be
1: fair um he didn't have his his guy yeah i mean your left tackle he he trusts josh kniffle at right guard he had not experienced josh kniffle at left tackle yeah and so he's out without julian good jones so his that, quote, blindside, it's a literal, he cannot see it. He has to trust that this person's done it. He can't see that. And so, to his credit, he was playing with a new left, or a new left tackle and a new right guard, to his credit. So he had to look down a little bit. But he did bail a lot sooner. And I think the, what's funny is immediately after that game, everyone flipped over to LSU, Oklahoma. And one the one of the things that impresses me the most about Joe Burrow is the, it's the first time, and I I don't remember if I've mentioned it on this podcast or if it's just in conversation with you in the past, is he reminds me, and this is not a hyperbole, he reminds me of Tom Brady in the sense that you've never seen Tom Brady get flustered to the in the on the field to the point of making a stupid decision. He'll get mad at people on the sideline, or he'll you know be frustrated when he leaves the field. But when he's on the field, it's make a good decision or get rid of the ball. And Joe Burrow does the same thing. He does he makes good decisions or gets rid of the ball. And Brock most of the time will make a good decision or sometimes will panic. And so the way that Brock gets better is get rid of the panic. And so that will come with more reps. It will also come with um, a greater sense of ownership of what he's doing. And that's going to have to just it work it that is absolutely nose to the grindstone work. Like how do you get better at something? You do it more. And so when he's faced with the decision, like take it back to that fumble play, what should he have done there? Everybody in the stadium knows that he should have just thrown it out of bounds. Yeah. Like live to live every drive, live for every drive to end with a kick field goal, or punt.
0: And especially if he's got an ankle thing that's holding him back, like just get rid of just the ball. Just get rid of the ball.
1: Don't you, try and run it, just get rid of it. Just throw it away. And yeah. everyone knows that, but in the moment, he was trying to make a play cuz he's pressing, he wants to make something happen. He, he he may have realized that he was you know, he bailed too soon. Yeah. Whatever. That elimination of mistakes is how he gets better is not making as many forced plays. And again, I don't think he's ever going to be not I don't want to say ever. He's never going to be Tom Brady because he wants to run more than that. And in order to run, you have to kind of gamble a little bit more. But a guy to look for, a guy to look at is Joe Burrow or it's Kelly Bryant at Clemson. It's guys that can run and they don't have to, but they do it when they need to. And when that when you have that capacity to run and you're only doing it when it's necessary, that's when it becomes a lot more explosive. That's when it starts becoming, you know, a, a greater offensive threat is when you're consistently going down and that's also making your own luck is you don't put yourself in as many stupid situations mm-hmm. to get bad luck to happen you know like oh man I got jumped in an alley okay well one of two things either learn how to fight or stop going in dark alleys so you can do the same with Brock with Brock Purdy he can he can fight his way he can do crazy things but he doesn't need to a yeah. lot of the time it's yeah. make the very simple plays and i think that's another one of those getting your ass kicked by life. He's going to learn that this off season because he has on film, you know, the TCU game of terrific plays, but he also has the Notre Dame game with kind of dumb stuff. But that again, we, we read the quote or you read the quote of what he's going to, what he looks like and how he's assessing it. You'd be sure that he's going to go do that. And again, trying to eliminate stupid plays and it looking in the mirror and being like, I did this wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. The next one, uh, So, this they're going to have to replace some guys on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. Um, this is going to be the first time where all five of the guys who will be on will be in the offensive line rotation will be Matt Campbell, Tom Manning, Jeff Myers guys. I so I admittedly, I am not a football genius by any means, but I have friends who and people that I talk to that do know football very well, you included, you know, Jay, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are things that people will point out to me that there are still some mental mistakes at times from the offensive linemen, whether it's hand placement or first step, first step placement, things like that. This is the first time that the guys that they have will be people who from their base when they arrived at Iowa State will have been in this offense running this scheme with these coaches. Some of those things I think need to be start getting cleaned up. And it's like it's I know that these guys will be young, obviously, but it's like I want to see progression in that sense. And it's like how, you know, just like continuing to kind of move forward on that. If this offensive line is ever going to be going from being crap to being average, which I think that they're getting closer to being average now to being good. Mm -hmm. And and like this, this next group is going to have by far the highest floor of of any group that they've had. But I think that they're, you know, they're like, how do you get closer to the ceiling? Because I don't know that this group ever did get to the ceiling.
1: Well, and I think to explain a little bit of offensive line play, there are there are numbers for where a defensive lineman lines up and there's a completely different number. So let's say a three technique versus a or let's even let's take the center, for example. It's a, a, a zero nose, which is he's looking him eye to eye versus a shade versus a one. And that may seem like a very subtle difference, but a zero technique is looking eye to eye. A shade is essentially my right eyeball is even with your right eyeball as I'm looking at you and I'm just shaded off center. And then there's a one technique, which is my shoulder is even with your shoulder. Now, granted, these are wide shoulders and big helmets, but really that's only about two feet in difference. Right. Why is there three different names for something that's two feet apart? Because that small of a distance is the distance difference between a huge success and a huge failure if you don't do it right and that in the same respect if your foot does not go six inches in the right direction and it goes six inches in the wrong direction we have three different names for two feet like two feet of space if my foot goes a foot in the wrong direction or i take a bad step then that opens that angle even farther it's 50 percent worse so offensive line play Is it lives in detail? Mm -hmm. It lives in tiny, tiny execution. And when you get a guy like KO, who is a really good player, he also became, he wasn't early in his career at Iowa State. By the time he became a senior and then got to the NFL, I think he finally realized it in the NFL how to become excessively, uncomfortably detail oriented. That's what these guys need to do in order to be successful. So this will parallel in two ways the the, the offensive line has to play together and detail oriented. So I think there's, there's a good news that the athletic ability to take those steps quickly and to get your hands in the right spot and move someone out of the way, the guys that will be coming in are going to be more physically capable of doing that job. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to officially be better because that comes with, you know, it comes with experience. It comes with consistency. It comes with, you know, that same thing we're talking about with, you know, the Kawhi Leonard 50-50 is I would rather cut my arm off than take a bad step. I would rather, you know, take a, a Mike Tyson punch to the chin than put my head in the wrong spot. That insane level of commitment to every single play being excellent is more critically, more critical inside the box than outside the box because there's less space to play with. There's less creativity you can have. Like a, a wide receiver, you know, Hakeem Butler can kind of sort of get away with running a bad route sometimes because he's just more athletic and you just throw it somewhere near him. If an offensive guard takes a little bit of an, you know, an incorrect step, there's no makeup for it unless yes. you're you know, Larry Allen and you can just take a dude with your palm and move him over. It, that type of physical freakness is very rare in, all, in the offensive line with anybody. But that's also because you're
0: playing against the biggest dudes.
1: Yeah, like and it's yeah. the biggest dudes, and they are just as strong as you are. Right. Like the, All these dudes that are playing offensive-defensive line are 600-pound squatters, 450-pound bench guys, and if they're not, then that means their length is so long that once they get you extended, you are 42 inches away from any part of body that could extend them. Like one of those two things, either super athletic or super strong. One of those two things is true. Now, the good news for this offensive line, too, is that uh, one, when they return, the guys that they have are going to be more physically capable, like I talked about. They're more physically capable of doing that job. Now, it's incumbent upon them to learn, again, the consistent excellence to do it. The other thing that they have going in their favor, there is no question at either position in the backfield. Brees Hall is going to be the running back. Brock Purdy is going to be the quarterback. They need to know that. And I've talked about it before where offensive line is the only position in, really in sports, a, a ball sport. It's the only position in a ball sport that doesn't look at the ball. Every offensive lineman is never looking at the ball. They have to trust that the guys that they have behind them are getting to the right spot. If you look at basketball, again, you're either playing... Maybe you're playing man defense, you're looking at the dude's hip and trailing him around, but at a certain point, you're finding the ball and you're playing, you're defending the ball. Or you're, you're offensive guy, maybe you're setting a screen, but you've got to know where the ball is. And you've got to just see it. Baseball, everybody's looking at it. Not really, with football. So, with having guys be the same, sometimes Johnny Lang will get to a spot before, you know, Brees Hall does. Or David Montgomery cuts weird all the time just because he cuts weird. Brees Hall is a true running back that follows his steps. They're going to be able to experience this group of five or whomever the group of five ends up being will experience the same pace and the same steps because Brees Hall plays that way. So when they go to take their steps on blind faith of the running back should be here at a certain time, they're not having Johnny Lang get there kind of at maybe a foot behind where Brees Hall gets to, or they're not going to have Sheldon Crony get there a foot ahead of where Johnny Lang gets there. It's where does Brees get there? When does Brees get there? That's how I'm going to learn. And same thing with Brock is you're going to have the ability for, they know where he likes to set up. And again, one foot makes a huge difference in football. If they know that Brock likes to set up his three steps are five and a half yards back, whatever. Mm -hmm. They know that that's where, when they practice, they're going to practice around that spot because it's just one guy. It's just Brock. And on, on the running back in the running game, it's just one guy. It's just Brees. So, Their learning curve should still be steep because it's a whole new set of three of the five are going to be new, but it's also they're learning with the same group. So it's not learning on five different running backs and two different quarterbacks. They're learning on one quarterback, one running back. So these guys will have a consistent learning point.
0: And I think too, it'll be good that these guys have all come up together. Like they're, I mean, most of them will all have been dudes who have been on the scout team together, have been, you know, practicing together, have been in the meeting rooms together, you think about the last couple of years, there's been a lot of like revolving door of classes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's a handful of guys who have all been together for a while, but then there's other guys who are kind of just getting cycled into that group, whether it's Trevor Downing or Colin Newell, whoever. And now it's like, all right, we have this group of guys that are all in about the same class and they are going to be together. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're going to keep them together. And then by the time they're seniors, they'll be like a fist, you know, Like, they're all together, all doing the same thing, and it's not, you know, any one person kind of, like, separating out and, like, messing something up or something like that. It's like, this group is solid, rock solid together. Yeah, and this
1: will also come with one of, I think, the more technical things, the more schematic things, less, you know, personal execution. It always always comes down to execution. Like, every play is designed to succeed, and it only doesn't succeed. because you don't execute, right? If you don't execute, right? Or another guy makes an absolute stud play. One of those two things happens. So one of the things that Iowa State schematically needs to do on offense is they need to have a pocket play or a yeah. pocket formation. Like the, the Joel Dozer um, was a formation, and usually they only ran, what, like three plays out of it? Maybe it was yeah. like power left, power right. They'd had a down the middle ISO and they had a read where Joel would give it to somebody on a sweep. I'm sure they had a pass package out of that. Uh, So it was maybe, what, like six plays that they probably put together? And
0: that's it. And the pass package, I think, was basically throw
1: the ball up to Alan Lazard. Yeah, and that's it. That's the entirety of the package. Yeah. But when they got to be, shoot, we need some. You know, we talk about that in basketball.
0: When you got Kyrie Irving and – it's give the ball to George Yang in the pinch post. and Yeah, and go. It's get th- him, let him get it and let him back pivot and, then, and go to work, George. Yep,
1: that's, there's, there's a thing. We're, we are stuck. Everybody's not doing it right. Yeah. There's nothing that we have. The pressure's ratcheted up by the defense. What's a thing that we can go do? And it sort of feels like it's Charlie Kolar in anything that's third and three plus. Like third and three plus is find 88 and just throw it to 88. And if he's not there, then it was find seven. Like one of those two guys, or Deshante maybe, but he's usually seven to 88, throw it to them. Third and three in, they don't have a formation, a look, a set, a whatever that they could go to to pull themselves out of a bind. And I think that caused a lot of problems in that high red zone because once they got inside the 10, because they have so much height, they could run, you know, that that RPO and throw a slant to Sean Shaw or they get an option for Charlie or something. They had that on that, like, longer than three yards distance. But a lot of times when they would get stuck – on that 35 yard line on in it's because you can't take these giant chunk plays because there's not yards to gain in chunk plays. So you're going to get, you're going to end up in third and two. So what do you do on third and two? They need to find something. And you know, I'm, I'm a proponent, uh, non-sarcastically of getting under center. A quarterback sneak is a great option. Running up straight up. ISO power is a great option because if the ball has to go a foot forward, don't take it six yards back. That being said, I also was in an offense that I usually almost always got it out of either the pistol or a shotgun, and I feel like a little, you know, self-righteously, I feel like I was good at that job of let's get a yard. I can get you a yard. You need one, I'll get you three. If you need four, I'll get you three.
0: And I think that's where too it'll be good for them to be bringing in some different kinds of quarterbacks where they'll be different sizes. I mean, you got a guy like Hunter Deckers who's coming in who's six four. Two and two something. Yeah. Two twenty five, two thirty. Like that's closer to the Joel Laning mode where mold where it's like if you wanna if you wanna do that, mm-hmm. you wanna run the Joel Dozer, like you could put a guy like that out there. I don't think Brock is as good at that where it's like I'm not saying Hunter Deckers could do that as a freshman, like as a true freshman, but mm-hmm. it's like that's like an idea, you know? And uh And maybe Real is part of that package yeah. where he becomes the speed option
1: to some power option.
0: Yeah, but he also doesn't have I don't think that he has that same thing where it's like, all right. Like, Joel, he would almost just run into the scrum, and it's like he's, Joel is going to push all of these people forward and get you one yard.
1: And I think Breeze, when he gets a little bit in the squat rack a little bit more, yeah. is going to become that. I think Jyrel Brock, when he gets in the squat rack a little bit more, can become that guy. And when you get uh, those three tight ends and – uh, and, and there's more than one way to skin a cat here. Like we're not saying that you have to no, get under center. No, it's not
0: one particular thing. Because yeah. like
1: Oklahoma State, their go-to short yardage for 10 years is they run, I, I, we called it house, where you have a fullback to your left, a tight end to your right, and a running back behind you. And you can run stretch zone in one way, stretch zone in the other way, or you can put all three of them and have all three of those guys lead block and run your quarterback behind them. Or you can play action off of it. Like
0: think that, what Texas does, like with, <clears throat>
1: with Ellinger. Yeah, think. exactly. It doesn't need to be fancy or crazy. It just needs to be something that you can consistently rely upon for three yards. And I think they have to come up with that package. And I, again, they got slapped in the face this year of we were bad. But they were probably towards the bottom. I don't have the statistics. I haven't looked at it. But I bet they were probably towards the bottom consistently in third and, three, or third and short. They were not necessarily towards the bottom, but they weren't towards the top. Maybe they were in the middle of the pack, but they weren't in the top 25 in the country right. in third and short. And that they need to find that, which will drastically increase their scoring potential because they're not going to be giving away drives. You know, they, a lot of times for the majority of the season, after, outside of maybe a couple of games, they never went three and out. Well, that's because they were able to convert these longer down a distance plays. But when it got to be really kind of nut cut in time, they didn't have the one whether it's a formation or a look that we put Chase Allen as a fullback and you give it to Brees Hall and just be like, hey, run between the ones on number 11 and he's going to push it for a yard. That, like they need that. So I think offensively, it's eliminate the mistakes. And I think that is, that's more incumbent upon Brock and then the offensive line kind of getting used to each other and then develop a, <clears throat> a look of short yardage plays. That's maybe, again, a handful of plays. You don't need a lot. You just have... Because you only need three yards. You only need, like, think wing T. Like, how many plays out of the wing T is there? Like, 13? Yeah. And that was offenses for 50 years.
0: And they also, but they just run them all so effectively that it doesn't matter. Exactly.
1: You know, Nebraska, when they were at their peak, they had probably 16 plays that they would run over the course of the entire Tom Osborne era and the triple option
0: right triple option left power option right power option left
1: and dive right dive left and that's it
0: fullback trap like they don't need a lot yeah Yeah, and so
1: being able to run a few things very very well in short yard situations and that's where you know a situation like a guy like gyrel brock can get himself on the field by making a name for himself there of being really 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 good at one thing and then after that you can do it and i think breeze can become that we talked about early in the year he's got a little baby fat to him like he's real good but he's still a baby. Like three years from now, when he looks back at what he looked like as a freshman, he's like, "Damn, I was skinny." Yeah. So he's he. It, it, they will figure that out. But offensively, that's what they need. I think develop a, a short yardage package of some kind that whether it's a running back like Gyro, Gyro Brock that executes sort of like I did, but he's way more talented, way more talented, or it's the Joel Dozer with Rael Mitchell, or and that he can kind of be the speed option to Gyro downhill or Breeze downhill, or Something, you know, Wildcat. Put Brees as the quarterback and put Johnny Lang as the something. Find a thing that you can do for short yardage efficiency and then eliminate the mistakes generally. And that's, I think, how you fix the offense and, quote, fix. This is the best offense Iowa State's seen in ever.
0: Yeah. All right. Defensively, um, we know that the Big 12 now has four teams. Has four teams who basically run the same defense. We've talked about this before. Four and a half, Texas Tech, kind of. Yeah. And uh, now these quarterbacks are seeing it. Basically every week, we know John Haycock, obviously. I mean, he's the one who started the whole deal. And I find it really – I mean, I, I find it stupid to think that he would, is not going to continue to evolve. John Haycock's way too smart. There's a reason we call him the professor. I mean, this is, this is what he does. He puts people in – he puts people in round peg, round hole. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there is a, a – needs to be a continued evolution of that defensive scheme – for them in order to stay ahead of now the people who have kind of copied them and now what do you do next to counteract the people that have copied you and now that offenses have started to catch yeah, up to a little Yeah, what's
1: bit. your check to their check? Yeah, yeah. And um, we saw, I think, if you read the tea leaves a little bit, what they want. And I think it involves number nine.
0: And we've talked about this before.
1: And on, when number nine was on the field, you, he's one of those guys, you just watch him, you know, yeah, you yeah. watch him do what he does. He rushed the passer maybe only 50% of the time, which is about, I don't know, roughly half as often as he would rush for the back half of the season. Against Texas, if number nine was on the, was on the field, he was going to go get Sam Ellinger. Mm-hmm. He, really, he almost
0: got booked a couple times too. He did, and uh, but he also
1: didn't rush all the time. He would drop back in pass coverage, and yep. I think they were trying to test. And again, we talked about it. Where one of the great things about a bowl game is you you have a little bit of a lab in your three weeks or four weeks in between the last game, and the next game, where you can be like, "What does what does this look like? Does this look good?" And then you have a, a test subject that you can go, "Okay, well, this we tried it in a you know our our clinical trials." We tried it on a lab rat and now let's try it on a human trial right away, quick. And so when they're in this, in against a good opponent, they put Will McDonald out there and told him to play some pass coverage. Some of it was good, some of it wasn't, but now they have teaching tape with him to go in the off season of saying, this is what we want you to do. And so I would expect to see, not expect, I would conjecture. I would think that where they're going to go with it is sort of what we talked about is that more conventional 3-4 or maybe it's turning the 3-3-5 into a similar into a 3-4 where Isworth plays more of you know as a a a nickel-ish and he's kind of that fourth linebacker but he's also kind of a safety and Will McDonald being the third linebacker with O'Brien Vance and Mike Rose who are Rose and Vance are more in the box and Will McDonald plays as a down defensive end with three defensive linemen but they're not the nose isn't playing a true zero nose. He's kind of shaded. Like th- something similar-ish to a 3-4 with McDonald and Eisworth being these like float kind of gray first and a half level players like yeah. Von Miller. And then like a, a Troy Polamalu type safety where he's almost a linebacker. And that's Eisworth's role. And I, I would – if I were to bet that where the adjustment comes from is, is getting good at that. Is making number nine – and I think also number 55, being really good at that position, maybe 55 still plays in more as a defensive end and they have somebody else that can do that, rush the passer, but also kind of play in the flat or in a hook curl. I think that's sort of where the defense will probably go to. But again, I'm not John, or I'm not John Haycock. I don't know where everything's going to go. I don't get to watch practice all the time. But based on personnel and sort of trending what he does, it's kinda, it makes sense that that's what they could go into the offseason working with is making Will McDonald into a linebacker not in fall practice, not in camp, but the whole season. And again, making him Von Miller, Clay Matthews linebacker, not Brian Erlacher. Mm-hmm. He's not going to have to be Brian Urlacher playing that Tampa 2 crazy defense. It's like, all right, dude, you go get the quarterback seven times out of 10. But we need you to do three plays out of 10, not that. Yeah. Just be good enough at those three out of 10 plays that it's not a liability. And then you can be really great in the other seven going to get the quarterback.
0: Well, and the reality is that there's, they've got guys on the defensive line. That it's like, and, and that you have two guys at least at the defensive end positions, three really. That's like, you got to get those guys on the field. Three five and fifty five. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I, if they, if they can rush, if this again, I think if you let's play the hypothetical that that's what they do. Let's put number nine on one side. Where are you going to put your back? Like, if you want to chip somebody, where are you going to put your back? Yeah, you, want, you, you you need want... to put it towards Von Miller. You need to put it towards number nine well, what does that do for number three on yeah, the other side? Number three, yeah. And so then the two guys that are inside, and the interior pass rush is devastating because it crushes the pocket. Yeah. Then and you in have, theory,
0: this guy they've got coming in, then you have I Bankston be
1: better, yeah. b- being more like a Jamal Johnson pass rusher. Yeah. Um, but you have Bankston at one of those. And then based on default, I would put any towards the strong side, towards Will McDonald, Any becomes more or less a three technique where he's kind of an inside defensive end. And, and you want to one-up that guy? You're, so you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna probably chip towards nine, yeah. and that means on one side, which means the other defense then becomes number three with a one-on-one with a right tackle. Yeah. Like, all right. Yeah. I can find – we, we can work with that. Yeah. And then you don't have to bring a ton of pressure. You don't have to bring Mike Rose. But if you do, back's already occupied with helping on number nine. You have more of a pass rush now. You can flex around a little bit. And I think the other thing that allows them to do stuff like this is their safeties are going to be – I don't, I think 24 will probably be the other safety. Yeah, DJ Miller. 24 and 11 are going to be your deep safeties. Lawrence White is very comfortable back. He's only kind of comfortable up towards the box. Number 12 is going to be up towards the box. He's going to be, again, your Palomalu safety. That is, I'm going to bust some dudes. I'm going to take a tight end and put it my shoulder pad in his chest and throw him back into the quarterback. That's where 12 is going to be comfortable kind of banging around linebacker and a half. Right. But that also... 11 and 24 will then be your more coverage safeties. And then your corners, if you were to peg Anthony Johnson and Tavon Kyle, what is their best strength as a cover guy? Man-to-man. Man coverage. Yeah. So you now have two safeties that can play over the top. You have a guy in Mike Rose that is a good cover linebacker now that he's had to do it for an entire season. You have Mike Rose. Put
0: him back into the spot that he's probably more comfortable. A more a interior bit.
1: linebacker who's yeah. able to cover. You yeah. can put him on a tight end. You have a guy like Ryan Vance who's really athletic and also really smart. And then you have Eyesworth that can float around at the tight end or a slot receiver. And then you have your three guys like McDonald, McDonald plus the other three linemen that can come after somebody. You can do a lot with that defense. And I would guess that that's where it's going to go. But again, wherever he comes up with is probably going to be a good idea. But I think what allows him to even consider this is – Kyle and McDonald had to face man coverage a yeah. lot. They had to,
0: because Johnson they had, and excuse me, yeah, and Kyle, yeah. Johnson,
1: yeah, sorry. Johnson and Tavon Kyle had to figure out how do I cover, like to gain confidence in playing man coverage. They're going to be able to take a whole offseason knowing I'm going to have to do this. Yeah. I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to be a warrior. I'm gonna battle to be a man coverage guy to allow us to play this other defense. And they have guys that can do it now, you know? So I think. See, this, that's the
0: difference. Like in the past, like they played that defense almost more out of necessity, like than they did out of. They
1: had PV, and that's it. Yeah. Really. Payne became by the end of it a guy that could play a little bit of man-to-man. Yeah,
0: but it's like when they first went to that defense, it was because they had to. They had. It's Brian, like, we PV have to and find something different. You know, we
1: can't man cover guys. Yeah. Well, now Johnson and Kyle can man coverage guys. Yeah. And so now they have the capacity to flex around a little bit more and again i'm saying
0: even the three cloud like you had kamari mm -hmm. who didn't cover very well you had reggie wilkerson who wasn't exactly a cover Mm -hmm. (laughs) superstar like you had all these guys that it was like all right we are going to try and give everybody the most help that we possibly can and that's like how the whole thing was i think kind of born and then you had a guy like ray who was like we can build it around him Mm -hmm. and uh now it's like you've got better, more talent, I think across the board at almost every position. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, now how can we can take what we did before out of necessity and it worked really well. And now we have better talent. So we adjust it to fit our better talent and like continue to make it more lethal. And instead of just like sitting back all the time.
1: And I think a guy like Arnold Azuna has sort of proven that he can be towards what number 12 does. Yeah. He can be towards that more in the box safety, uh, which is a, Again, the, the linchpins of running this defense are number nine and number 12. It only works if nine and 12 are really good. You can find, and I don't mean this to say that there's any negative light, you can find a guy to play Orion's, Orion Vance's position. You just need, you need a guy that's not going to screw up in that spot. You need a guy that's a stud at that whatever star, buck, nickel, something position, whatever you call the Troy Palomalo safety. And then you need Vaughn Miller at that other defensive end in order for this to work. I think they have the personnel to do it, but they, all, they need to have two guys that can do it because if you build a defense around nine and 12 and then God forbid what happens this year to Greg Eisworth happens again to somebody else, whether it's a nine or 12 and you don't have a backup that can fill that role. Then the you built the offense on a pile of sand that is eventually going to shift in a road. So I think 12 and four can become your Palomalu safeties and then nine and I don't know, somebody else can become that other rush end. And I think maybe 23 could probably do that and put in, Hummel at the other linebacker mm-hmm. and it becomes
0: see that's another guy it's like how do you work him in there now too well and that's he, it's e- another guy that you can wor- work in there mm-hmm. and maybe that is he made some good plays on saturday
1: yeah he did and ma- again maybe that's mike rose moving up to that another position. i know
0: that pulver mocker kid too yeah and so you have you have
1: to come up with how does this work and i again from an outside perspective i don't watch game film like i watch the tv copy of game film i don't get to watch and grade and i don't listen to the coaches but if I'm looking at what guys do and what you could do, that's a thing that I think you could do. And then you do some really fun stuff with that defense. Yeah. If you get 12 up near the box a lot, he's fun to watch rush the quarterback too.
0: Yeah. All right, last thing. Um, and I think that Saturday was a good example of this. This is the, the – I don't know what you do with this because I know that they've, they take kind of a full staff approach to special teams. But you, I think that there needs to be some conversation about the special teams philosophies. Really? We're talking I don't about understand. punt return. I don't even know what philosophy is on the punt return deal. We're, we're talking about punt return. Yeah. Because uh, the punt unit? They hadn't returned a punt in how long uh, before Tariq, Tariq tried to return the one in to open the game. And then he returned another one where I think he had four guys around him, which was another one where I was like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Why? You've, you guys have fair-caught everything for the whole season, and now you're going to try and return this one when it looked like they had a block on. And then there was one where it looked like they put a return on, and Tariq is running at full speed forward to catch the ball. And there's nobody around him. And that one's the one he fair catches. And that's what I don't understand. It's like, what is your philosophy on these punt returns at this point?
1: And I don't know, really, who's, in, who's responsible for Because really, if we're, again, we're talking about punt return. Yeah. Like, all the other special teams, as good as they can be, like, it's, there's six units of special teams. There's field goal, field goal block, punt, punt block, kickoff, kick return. That, those are your six. And in general, punt or field goal block – as long as you're safe on your responsibilities, the the act of actually blocking a kick is extremely rare. So just don't get faked on. And yeah, you're good. unless
0: you've got like David Irving in the yeah, middle. Yeah, you yeah. Know. unless you're... And or, can
1: Sue. Or on the the edges you have, you know, Ed Reed. Like yeah. one of the, Maybe you have that, but most people don't. No. And so it's don't get faked on field goal block. And then field goal, it's just successfully convert the opportunities you think you can. And that's kind of incumbent upon the kicker. Yeah. The, the snapper holder kicker, like that operation and then just protect them enough.
0: And at this point... I think you gotta be feel pretty good about a solid, yeah, it, and, within and forty.
1: Anything forty, I think even like forty five yards on in, you. I feel like that's pretty good. And If he can stretch that range, awesome. Yeah. But otherwise, it's just convert the stuff you need to convert. Punt. I think Rivera actually did a pretty good job by the time the season ended. Yeah, there's just a than nice, than the little, one, nice little battle there for the punter spot next yeah, year. Yeah. Other than that one shank that he had, or uh, every once in a while he has one shank, and everybody does. Like nobody is shankless. It was funny when he busted out the left footed
0: one on the Saturday. rugby. Yeah, the left footed rugby, and he's like. It, I I was sitting there with Dylan Monson. I was like, hasn't he kicked them all with his right foot? (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I don't think we've ever seen him do that. And he almost hit the guy. I could tell what he was kind of trying to do. Yeah. And he almost hit the the blocker for Notre Dame. I think that's what he was like kind of his goal was. And, uh, yeah, so you
1: have – Punt, which has been pretty good, and if you get Dunn back and Rivera between those two, you have
0: two good punters battling
1: for one spot. Otherwise, they've protected pretty well. I like the scheme they use on punt because they kind of condense space where they want to condense it but still allow guys to get down the field. Yeah. Punt's fine. Kickoff return, obviously, if they return the kick with Kane, there's a 50-50 shot that he's going to take it outside the 25, 30-yard line. And that's all you can ask with the rules they've changed now. You're, I mean, Kansas State is a total anomaly yeah. To be to have three kick returns in a season, total anomaly. There's, you cannot expect that.
0: They probably won't even be able to de- like replicate that. Right, and so you're
1: really it's if you return it, do you get it past the twenty-five? That's what your bar is, and Iowa State does that. Kickoff cover generally pretty good. I think the farthest return against them in is maybe what like the forty-yard line. Well, the touchdown. Uh, well that uh, that one yeah again aside from kansas state yeah the farthest return in any normal context is like the 40 yard line again maybe i'm forgetting one or two but in general they've probably kickoff has been fine punt return is the one unit that has bitten iowa state in the ass hard twice at least yeah and i don't know what exactly the idea is like i don't know so if you're coaching a punt returner himself like you're coaching Tariq milton like just the return it's and i think we've talked about we talked about the iowa game he's blind like if he's looking up at the kick you literally i mean stare right now at the at at one of the ceiling tiles and try and see what your coworkers are doing you can't yeah. so when you look up you are trusting that everyone else is going to get it so you're really relying on timing so like when the ball is up in the in the and you kind of are counting 1001 thousand one thousand i'm going to get t-boned uh fair catch like that like that part of it is if it's way up there for a really long time, you would just assume that the guys in the coverage team are going to get down on get down to your area. If it's a laser beam and it's fifty yards down the field, but it's thousand one thousand two oh balls here, sweet, I got space. Because again, look at the ceiling and count. That's really what you have. But other than that, like when it's in that kind of three and a half second range or that four second range, where it's not really a booming punt, I don't get it. Like there, sometimes, like you were talking about. Uh, The one where he's screaming forward, uh, fielding the kick is always the most important. So if you don't think you can safely field it and then try and return, where you might have to like catch it and kind of fall down, protect yourself with a fair catch. Like that one, I don't really credit him that, fault him that much. Because again, he doesn't know what he's running into. He's watching the ball. And if he runs full speed, and there's a dude that's also running full speed and just happens to be in that lane with him. He's gonna catch it without protecting himself, and a dude at 30 yard or 30, for sprinting at 30 yards is gonna hit him square in the teeth. Mm-hmm. Fair catch that one. But the it's the ones in between. It's the one that he fumbled on. That like, I, what are, are you trying to return it? Are you trying to set something up? Like that's one thing that Lens and Jarvis. So I, I credit. So Shane Burnham was our punt return coach. Shane would always have a great scheme for us is we would know exactly what we're doing. And we practiced two returns, right, left, and two and a half. We'd every once in a while run a middle return, right and left. And that's it. And then we'd have one block per any given week. We would block from the right side or the left side. That's it. That's the only thing we'd do. And we would work fundamentals and fundamentals and fundamentals and fundamentals and block the bejesus out of it. And then they would coach the returner. Trust your guys because we are going to coach them well enough with the scheme that we have, because I'm going to own this unit, and and I, I don't, maybe they do, and the guys just act don't execute it as well. But then that kind of falls back on coaching to get them to execute it that well. So, I think that has to be a priority of simplifying what they do, and just hitting fundamentals unbelievably, uncomfortably hard on how to block kick returns if you are the other guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, man. I think uh, I think we covered it. I got to get ready to go to basketball. It's basketball season officially now. It is basketball season officially. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jeff. Peace, everybody.